Amen. So Genesis chapter 30, beginning at verse 1, continues with the introduction and the explanation of Jacob's children. And we have this great conflict that is ongoing between Rachel and Leah, his two wives. So it says in verse 1, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Um, to begin with, we can fairly easily understand that for Rachel to envy in this case is sinful and destructive. As much as it's not the Lord's desire for Jacob to have these two wives, and we'll discuss that more, that is the situation they're currently in. And it's something that Rachel is going to have to eventually contend with in her own heart, her own mind, her own life, this problem that creates in her envy. And very often we can tell when something's a sin because you look at this situation and you almost want to side with Rachel and say she's being wronged. But the expression of, or else I die. I'm in a place, she's saying, where I despair of life. I would rather not be alive, is what she's saying. The Lord, in His circumstances, does not bring us to those places. You know, it's our enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When our hearts, our minds, and our lives become darkened like this, and we begin to express, I'd rather die, then we obviously can see the hand of our enemy in those circumstances. And now I get that, you know, I'm living a fairly easy life, you know, standing here in relative health, able to, you know, say that this is something that probably we should never utter. There are people who have circumstances that are so much more difficult than what I have to deal with. I get that. My point is, any of us in our dire state can look to others who have worse situations, who are trusting the Lord, and they've found the joy of the Lord. The Lord will provide that for us. That despair needs to drive us deeper into the arms of the Lord. Not further into despair, further into hopelessness. It needs to be a thing that acts as a conduit, bringing us to Christ. So, give me children or else I die. In verse 2, Jacob's anger was aroused. Now, we could go either direction with this also. Uh, his Reaction as far as being angry. Frustration does that. And we are told Jacob loves Rachel. And he desires to have children with her. So sometimes when we're faced with the difficulties that we can't do anything about, rather than just simply expressing frustration, 
we express our frustration as anger. And that's what we see here. Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? That was the common thought in the land, that if a woman was unable to bear children, she somehow was an offense to God, and God was keeping her from having children. Now, some of that is even expressed as we read through this passage in Genesis. So he takes that very strong position of basically this is between you and God. You know, you're not having children isn't anything I can do about it. And and honestly, you know, not talking about the human aspects of, you know, intercourse and procreation, this man could be on his face in prayer. He could be praying for his wife's emotional need and her physical need. The desperation could be compelling him to the feet of the Lord also. Instead, what we see is what's so natural to all of us, probably, to react in our frustration with anger. So, verse 3, she said, Here is my maid, Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid as wife, and Jacob went in to her. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the problems here is her comparison of herself and her relationship with the Lord with that of her sister and the perceived relationship with the Lord. You know, Leah's being blessed and having children, and I'm not. And so that compels her now that misperception, that comparison with someone else, compels her to do something that's even further sinful. She gives her handmaid to him as wife so that she can be a surrogate mother of sorts for her own children. She'll give me children. She'll give me children on my knees. I'll be able to have children for myself. This is much like how Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham in a surrogate mother type of arrangement, Genesis chapter 16. Rachel gave her maid Bilhah to Jacob. You know, any of us that have read through Genesis 16 and know how Ishmael came into the world and all of the results that came out of that, you know, we're still suffering, suffering the Middle East conflict over, you know, this whole situation. As I was reading through these sisters and the way that they envy one another and compete with one another, I was reminded, it's kind of comical, but a few years ago, uh, my daughter gave one of my other daughters a bumper sticker that said, I smile because we're sisters. I laugh because there's nothing you can do about it. The relationship sometimes, just by nature, is strained. And now they're competing over a husband. Uh, This thing is going to get as messy as anything you've ever seen. They're at one another constantly. So, 
Bilhah conceived, bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case. He also heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Dan meaning judged or judgment. So Bilhah must be feeling very used by both Rachel and Jacob at this point. She's just sort of an object in their world. However much degree this man may be expressing of affection toward her, she's simultaneously caught up in the competition. And I pointed out because these are the fathers of the faith that we live in. It isn't something that, you know, as we look at it, uh, we should take an inappropriate view. Uh, We shouldn't look at them and think, oh, well, there's a whole bunch of junk in my life. There's a whole bunch of junk in their life. Therefore, I don't need to worry about all of the things that I'm stumbling over or dealing with. These people are going to pay the price for the things they're doing to one another and the way that they're not cooperating with God's will for their lives. You know, how many times have we referenced in this family's circumstances the New Testament saying, you know, God, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. This family is going to have to pay for what they're doing. It always comes back to haunt you. And so here they are. Now Bilhah's caught up in the midst of this. You know, and I can just imagine as she's feeling used by both Rachel and Jacob that, you know, to think they just named their son, you know, judge or judgment, judging between Rachel and Leah. And she's thinking, really? I mean, you're, you're going to talk about God's judgment as you use me in order to fulfill this competition between you all. Th- think, about, think about how the testimony moves on and the way this behavior affects people. 30 verse 7, And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, What uh, with great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Nephtali. So, I mean, really? You know, what have you won when you've lost your sister or your brother? You know, I, I win is essentially, you know, what she names her child. Victory. I, I've wrestled and I'm the one who has conquered. She's in competition with her sister. This This isn't even something that we could look at you know, like other examples in the scripture where God gives Gideon tremendous victory. Or we see Joshua, you know, performing the work of the Lord and defeating the enemies. You know, David in his conquest. This is within the family of God, within the patriarchal lineage of even Jesus Christ. And here they are declaring their victories over one another. It's a sad commentary whenever Believers have this type of reaction toward one another. 30 verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, so apparently she's still being intimate with her husband, 
and now she's not conceiving. She took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. Uh, this whole thing is just stomach-turning to read and watch these people behave this way. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. You know, we've, we've got a whole army here. You know, the children that have come through me and my influence have just overtaken, you know, my sister. Where the, where the victors, a troop comes. She called his name Gad, meaning a troop. Leah made, Leah's maid, <coughs> Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Zilpah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. She's happy over getting over on Rachel. Uh, you know, I wish this. I wish this passage wasn't recorded in the scripture. You're going to go back and forth and see the misbehaviors of both sides within this. There should never be in the life of the believer any happiness over suffering created in someone else's life. If you're creating suffering, I mean. This life is hard, and at times we step on toes, and at times, you know, we do things we have to apologize for. There shouldn't be any joy in that. You know, here she is, and now the new child has been born, and now, now, now I'm happy over the injury that's being caused to my sister. What a horrible commentary on you know, those who declare themselves to be believers and followers of God, that they would behave in this way. It's a tragic, tragic thing. Now, Reuben, when in, <clears throat> when in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Now, the mandrake is a root. It's called the love apple in Hebrew, it's commonly thought, even to this day, to produce fertility in women. Um, you know, there's no evidence that it actually does. You know, people that, you know, want to point to sort of the effects of, look, this person used mandrakes and they were infertile and now they have children. Well, you know, where is it a placebo where it's just affected the person's heart and mind versus, you know, some actual chemistry within the body. We don't have any evidence of anything being done here. It's, it's just simply that this is the common perception. The scripture isn't endorsing this in any way. You know, this is some kind of weird Hebrew voodoo that's going on right now. Mandrakes they found. So, Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? I wonder, you know, how rehearsed some of these lines are that we come across in these two chapters where the anger swells up and the lines just pour out. 
we as human beings tend to do that. We dwell and meditate on a thing, and then when somebody pushes the button, here comes what I've rehearsed for you. And, you know, it's, is it enough that you've taken my husband? Now you, you want my fertility pills also, is what she's saying. She's expressing her disdain for her sister. And Rachel said, therefore, <clears throat> he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me. For I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. How disgraceful that this is recorded here. The line being said is one thing. The fact that the man responds to it is even more disgraceful. I've hired you for the evening for my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. You know, do not misunderstand God listening and providing them chil- children with anything to do with their manipulation. Okay, we, we should never look at particularly this family of Abraham and the descendants and think, well, there, you know, deception and manipulation are clearly things that are okay for us to participate in. I say again, this family would have been accomplished and the Lord would have performed his will in their lives if none of the deception, none of the animosity had gone on. What they're doing to one another is just injuring and injuring and injuring one another so that their relationships are destroyed in the process. Everyone is being scarred through this process. The the lesson rather is that even if you are a person who has conducted yourself in disgraceful ways, the the Lord can forgive you and use you. The fact that he's hearing this woman is an evidence of God's grace. It's, It's not his endorsement of the behavior. This is not God, you know, putting his seal upon this. <clears throat> he hears uh, Leah and he answers and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Now, there's a passage I would uh, ask you uh, to turn to with me. Uh, it's in Ezekiel chapter 14. <clears throat> There's something that the Lord says uh, to the nation of Israel that's really uh, quite important important for us to understand. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me, that's Ezekiel, and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into into iniquity. 
Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Before we move on in this passage, I want you to notice something. These people in Israel are the leaders, and they've set up in their hearts idols. You think about Jesus' teachings. He says, of sexual sin. You've heard it said, you know, that if a man, you know, has, you know, commits adultery, and then Jesus says, but I say to you that if a man lusts after a woman in his heart, desiring to have sex with her, he's already committed adultery. Jesus brings the sin back to the thought life, not just the action, the thought life. Here, the Lord puts the idolatry in the thought life. They've set up idols in their hearts. So as good Jews, perhaps they don't even have shrines or idols or they don't go to pagan temples. They just have the idols in their hearts. And now they've come to the prophet to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord is saying to the prophet, should I listen to these people at all? Should I pay any attention to what it is that they have to say? That's scathing enough. Watch what the Lord says further in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 4. Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him that what causes him to stumble into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Follow this. You can look it up in all kinds of different translations and every commentary. What you're going to discover is the Lord is saying, if you have set up idols in your heart and then you come to inquire of me, I'm going to answer you the way that your idol would. That should send a chill right down every one of our spines. Because we all know what the scripture is saying about, for instance, lust. I just referenced Jesus saying, if you've lust, lusted, you've already got, you know, the sin of worshiping the goddess or God of fertility and, and participating in sexual sin. Mammon, Jesus refers to, you know, Molech, all of the ancient gods, Bacchus, the God of drunkenness, You know, we don't have a shrine in our home, but we've set up an idol in our heart and we now pursue money. That is, and then we go inquire of the Lord. This is how I've seen it play out. Many believers come and they're saying, well, surely this must be the will of the Lord. Look at the success of my business. The success of your business is destroying your relationship with the Lord. But I prayed, and God blessed. If you have an idol in your heart, 
and you come to inquire of me, I'm going to answer you the way that idol would. That's not me putting uh, things between the lines. That's the Lord saying to Israel, get rid of your idols. Man, does the church need to hear that today. Get rid of the idols in your life. Because if they're there, even your relation, follow me in this. This is the Lord saying this from the scripture. Even your relationship with the Lord will lead you astray. You can't have the idol and have God simultaneously. God won't tolerate it. He's not going to cohabitate. These people here, you know, here she is. God has given me my wages. You hired your husband like a gigolo. And now you're attributing that to God? You're attributing the success of that intimacy with to God. Imagine how that breaks God's heart. To hear such a thing stuck upon himself. Consider the grace of God as he hung on that tree and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I look at myself, you guys, and so very often the Lord shows me the foolishness, the foolishness of my thoughts, my words, my conduct. He's constantly refining me, constantly working on us and changing us. Cooperate with him. Don't use passages like this and other people's failures as an endorsement of your own. Issachar literally means reward. I've been rewarded for my payment. Sad, sad commentary. Tremendous grace of God. I'll remind us God's original plan, and these people know it. One man and one woman. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Two Not four, two shall become one. That was the original mandate. He becomes even more clear and specific when you get to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 18, where the Lord says, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. I wonder if the Lord specifically had this relationship in mind and was saying to himself and the nation of Israel, I need to clarify these people's conduct. This is not acceptable. The pain and the heartbreak that is being conceived here exceeds the children that are being born. 30 verse 19. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun or dwelling. Her idea is now he'll live with me. Now he'll love me. Now we'll have a relationship. She's missing the fulfillment of a relationship with God in her life. And what she's trying to do is find that fulfillment in a relationship with a human being. You're never going to find the relationship that only God can provide in a relationship with any human being. 
That's, that's not ever going to come. You're going to be gravely disappointed all of your days. 30 verse 21. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now, you guys, I find no commentary mention about Dinah or her significance. I, I want to know. I, I hope the Lord takes note of my asking the question now and answers when I'm in her his presence. What was the significance of Dinah? Because what I recognize here is the men that are being recorded are using women as nothing more than objects of their sexual affections. And now a beautiful little girl is born, and no mention, they just move on. Isn't that the conduct of men? To just overlook the significance of women. I suspect that if the, there was something we needed to know, the Holy Spirit would have told us. But right in the midst of all of this ill conduct, it fits in very neatly as all of the other misconduct of these men. 22 says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Joseph, meaning may he add, is the idea. I, I need more. It's, again, unfortunate that yeah, I've received a son, but I, I need more. No contentment in the situation. Uh, way worthy of note that Joseph is the most magnificent image of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You look at you know the things that go on in his life and the great blessing upon his life and the salvation that he provides to the world. Remarkable character. But significantly enough, as we mentioned, you know Leah bears the two most notable tribes. You know while she's overlooked and Rachel is favored by her husband, it's Leah. Who, who brings both the priestly tribe into existence and the tribe of Judah into existence. So Levi and Judah both come through Leah, not Rachel. So wonderful example, great stereotype of Jesus. We'll get to that point and study it in just a few weeks. 30 verse 25, it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and my own country. So <clears throat> give me my wives and my children, <clears throat> for whom I have served you, and let me go. For you know my service, which I have done for you. Laban said to him, Please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Now, the Hebrew language implies that Laban learned through some divination or occultic practice that the Lord had blessed him because of Jacob's presence. It wasn't just that the testimony of Jacob led Laban to sort of search his inner soul and then see the blessing that was coming in his life and 
make the calculation of, oh, Abraham and you know Isaac and Jacob, followers of the Lord, you know, surely this blessing that I'm experiencing is because of God. There was there was pagan idolatry in his life, and in that practice, and we're going to see those idols pretty quickly here. That that idolatry led him to understand that it was the Lord who was blessing him. God communicates with Laban a, a couple different times in a couple different ways here. <clears throat> 30 verse 28, then he said, Name me your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I served you, you and how your livestock has been with me, and what you had before me, uh, excuse me, what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall give, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. I don't want a free gift. I will work for what I'm asking. So when he says, you don't want to give me anything, and then he begins to name his price, what he's saying is, I'm not going to take anything for free. I'm not asking for charity. I don't want a gift. I will work for what I'm proposing. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that, were, that it were according to your word. The reason is, what he's just asked for is the smallest portion of the flock. He's asking for very specifically marked sheep by birth. They're born speckled and striped in these colorations. He's saying, I want the ones that are the least in number, that stand out easily so that they're easily recognizable, and all of their offspring will be likewise. We'll be able to easily tell who's our who. So I'm going to take the smallest portion in everything, and then we'll easily be able to tell. And we're going to see he puts a great distance between these flocks so that there's no intermingling. Nobody can say later, oh, well, you were just sort of shuffling the whole herd. Verse 35. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. But he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So he sends his own flocks away under the care of shepherds, and he stays to ensure the health and well-being of Laban's flock. He doesn't attend to his own. He's attending to Laban's. 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white 
strips in them, exposed the white which was in the rods and the rods which he had peeled. He set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so they should conceive when they came to drink. Now, before we move into some nude study of uh, animal husbandry here, we don't know that this actually has any effect. Uh, you know, there are those that want to say, oh, you know, these uh, particular woodstocks put in the water are going to create a certain fertility and, you know, it's going to cause this great breeding process and that's how this all takes place. What's going on is God's blessing him. That's what's been going on from the beginning and that's what's currently going on. Does this, you know, green rods of poplar have something to do with it? Uh, maybe we'll find that out someday. What we know is there are people who have tried to follow this practice and had no success with it. So once again, we don't know what's behind this other than God's hand is upon this man and his circumstances. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaks speckled and spotted. And then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streak and all the brown of the flock of Laban. He put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. And when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and hired large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So Jacob used selective breeding to increase the strength and vitality of his flock. It's very simple. The extremely healthy, extremely big, extremely strong ones breed them with the same. The big, healthy, strong ones. And, you know, eliminate those that are lesser and feeble. Make your flock as strong. Don't just let all kinds of intermingling going on. That is common practice in farming to this day. You know, Jacob did his best. It was God who blessed it. In Genesis 31, 10 through 13, we saw the promise that God had given <clears throat> there to bless him in this process. It's also the promise that was you know, given in Genesis 28, 13-15, the covenant God made with Abraham. So we shouldn't concentrate too much on all of these, you know, perhaps manipulative practices, simply God's promises being fulfilled. Chapter 31. Deep breath. We ready? Can we make it? All right. Verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban. And indeed, it was not favorable toward him as before. So he's not experiencing that welcome interaction. There's a resistance. Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flocks and said to them, I see your father's countenance, 
that is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Now, there are a few things that he makes mention of here and throughout the rest of this chapter that are his credentials as far as his work ethic in being a laborer for Laban. Keep in mind, he's going to mention it, this has been 20 years. He's served 14 years without pay. Uh, he received two wives out of the deal. So I guess he was he was paid. But there was no material compensation other than the two wives. He works an additional six years, and he has to generate his own flocks in the process. So he's prospering Laban to whatever degree he can, but he's prospering himself in the same time and experiencing. So what he's saying here of, you know how I've served your father, that's an undeniable fact. He truly has served this man. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. Now we don't have any detail of the ten wage changes that took place. He says it here. He later says it to Laban's face, and Laban doesn't contradict it. So we can assume that the gross manipulation we've seen on the part of Laban has gone on continually. You know, the issues with the sheep, there's constantly adjustments that Laban is wanting all along the way. And apparently he's made accommodation for that. But God did not allow him to hurt me. Now that's one of the first mentions of literally physical harm. And we're going to see that the mentions of physical harm from Laban towards Jacob escalate as we move through this. So he deceived me, though he couldn't do me any hurt. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes and saw a dream. So he's giving them some background insight. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flock were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Remember that location. You know, the house of God where he had first laid down, fleeing from Esau, put his head on that rock, and had that dream where he saw the ladder extending from heaven to earth and the angels ascending and descending upon it. And the God of Bethel, uh, where you anointed the pillar, setting up that rock and making the vow, where you made the vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Dad isn't giving us anything. You know, we're not staying here for some dowry that's going to be fulfilled in our lives. This man is completely selfish 
and everything is being consumed by him. So there's nothing coming to us. Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. And you can hear the deep, bitter tone in these young women's lives. This is their dad. And this is how they think of their dad thinking of them. We're nothing more than items that were for sale. He's completely abandoned us. For all these riches which God has taken from our Father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Then Jacob arose, set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained. And that's the scripture telling us he earned these things. There's no deception. He doesn't get to the point of frustration where he's like, I'm just going to take whatever I want to from Laban. He's taking whatever the current arrangement is. You know, Laban's been switching things around ten times now. Whatever the current arrangement is, that's what he's departing with. He, he's above reproach, at least in the wages and what he's taking with him. His acquired livestock, which he had gained, paid in Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Why she did this, we do not know. There's a few different speculations about how these idols sometimes were the property markers, and perhaps she was trying to pull up the property markers so that he would have to fight with his neighbors about where his land began and end. You know, that's a possibility, I guess. There are those that say she was very idolatrous, having been raised in idolatry. She wanted to keep that idolatry for herself. And then there are those that say that you know they were made of precious metals, gold and silver, and she was simply taking them for the monetary value. We don't know why specifically she took them other than she takes them, and that's going to create massive conflict. 20, Jacob stole away unknown to Laban the Syrian, and in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river, that's the Euphrates, and he headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So, you know, what a shame Jacob had to sneak away in order to be in the will of God. He's painted himself into such a circumstance that he can't even just be open and honest about his own relationship with the Lord and what it is he's currently doing. 22. Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. It's nearly 300 miles from Haran to the mountains of Gilead. Lots of danger along the way, including the fact that his brother Esau is waiting for him. So this is a treacherous journey that they're engaged in. Verse 24. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night, and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. 
apparently Laban had bad intentions. and We'll see a little bit more of that. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban and his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. At this point, they're not far from the Jordan River, so they've pushed hard and they've made good time in order to get to this location. Verse 26, Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and song and timbrel and harp. We j- I just wanted to have a party with you before you got. I just, just want to have a big sending away party. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. You know, I just love these kids, you know, who are saying he doesn't want anything to do with us. I just, you're just breaking my heart here, man, is what he's saying. Now you've done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. Wow. You're kind of like passive aggressive here. You know, one moment, I just wanted to party with you. I mean, I could bash your head in. This guy is unstable. He goes from, you know, expressing some kind of weird affection to, you know, threats of violence. But the God of your father spoke to me. And that's honestly the only reason that he's not committing an act of violence and that he is withholding stronger speech. Remember, God said, don't say anything good or bad. He's crossing those lines right here. So Laban's disrespecting of the Lord. So The God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Everybody points out, if your gods can be stolen, you've got the wrong gods. You know what I mean? You need a different god if your god can be stolen. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it with you. You, know, you make an accusation against me, then prove it right here in front of everybody. Don't be sly about this. Make your case right now so everyone can see whether I'm right or wrong. He has no idea that his wife has these idols stashed away in their luggage. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. When he went into Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent, now Rachel had taken the household idols put them in a camel's saddle, and sat on them. Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord, that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. So Rachel has learned how to be deceptive herself. She's saying, I'm having my menstrual cycle. I can't stand up. Please forgive me. I respect you with everything that's in my heart, but I have to remain seated. She's 
manipulating and deceiving. 31.36 Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? So think about it. They've made this great distance in seven days. Laban has made it in four. Three days pass before he sets out. So seemingly no one hardly even rested as they make this pursuit after them to to find them and overtake them. You hotly pursue me, although you have searched all my things. What part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These twenty years I have been with you. And now we get a little more explanation. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young. That's a supernatural blessing. He's saying, you know, I have cared for them diligently, and you had the blessing of the Lord. I have not eaten the rams of the flock. I didn't take the best for myself. That which is torn by beast, I did not bring to you. I bore the lost. You required it of my hand. That was not standard practice. You know, if they sent shepherds out in the field and the lion springs out, they were supposed to do whatever they could to prevent the lion from killing, but they don't want to lose a human life over a lamb, so they would just let the lion take the lamb, and they just had to recover whatever fragments were left from the lion and bring it to the owner and say, you know, we lost these six. In the months we were out, we lost these six sheep uh, to predator. Here are the remains of that. Not so with Laban. He made him pay for all of the losses uh, that went on while he was shepherding. Whether stolen by day or stolen by night, there I was in the day. The drought consumed me. The frost by night. My sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, you have a fear of my family, the prosperity and wealth they have, had been with me, unless that had been upon you, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. You would have come right here, and you would have taken my flocks and my wives and my children, and you would have left, and I would have gone home empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, very defiant, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, and what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born. Now, therefore, come. Let us make a covenant. Don't misunderstand this as being friendly. He doesn't shift gears into a nicety at all. Let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there at the heap. Laban called it Jigar Shehedah, but Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, This heap is a witness between uh, you and me this day. 
Therefore, its name is called Gilead. Also, Mizpah. Now, just to be clear, there is that necklace that is commonly worn that looks like a coin, and it's cut in half, and it has these verses on it. It's, it's called a Mizpah. You know, boyfriends and girlfriends. You know, guy wears one side, girl wears the other. And, you know, may the Lord watch between me and thee while we are separated one from another. That is not a compliment at all. Mizpah is not a compliment, and neither is this statement. The idea is you stay on your side of the fence, and I'll stay on my side of the fence, and if you cross over, I'm going to kill you. So let the Lord watch between the two of us to make sure nobody's crossing fences. So Mizpah is not, I mean, if you've turned it into a nice thing and you've given that gift, then, you know, enjoy it. But biblically, there's, there is a threat of God's violence inside that. It's a, a strange thing our culture has done. So anyway, <clears throat> are you tucking it in right now? I didn't mean to be offensive. I just apologize. I'm not supposed to deliver medicine at the, at the dinner table. So. so also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters. You mean other than the handmaids you've given them apparently, so that's okay. Although no man is with you, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness. This pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me to harm or for harm. And there's the threat. The idea isn't that they would go over there to do harm. The idea is if you go across this line, then there's going to be physical harm. There's, there's going to be death. This is on penalty of death. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And God and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night at the mountain. And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Very painful separation at this point what everyone is missing in this whole process is the god that came to abraham and made this great proclamation to him in the very beginning this is the beginning of abraham's relationship with god and all of this family's relationship with god in genesis 15 verse 1 after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and here's the punchline, your exceedingly great reward. Laban's looking for flocks as the reward. Laban's looking for money. Laban's looking for labor. Laban's manipulated everybody he can. His daughters are competing with one another. Jacob is trying to manipulate Laban. He wants wives. They're stealing idols. Everybody's missing the point. None of these things are the reward. They've all fallen into materialism. God is their great reward. If they had nothing but their basic necessities, 
they would be so rich. So rich. Jesus saying in the New Testament, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then your basic necessities will be added to you. Oh, the pain we cause ourselves pursuing the things of the world. I pray that we could be people that understood that it's the Lord who is our great reward. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Sometimes we can learn from people by all the mistakes that they've made. It's nice when we can learn from people who show us good, right, and proper methods. But others, you just have to look at, okay, I won't do that, and I'm not going to do that, and I won't do that, and I won't do that. I also won't do that. The examples laid out for us in this scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we've made all the mistakes. And you love us as you love these people. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Help us to be men and women that live in your grace and mercy. Share it with others. Take it to the world that's so desperately in need of knowing that you love them. You love them despite their failures, despite our failures. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for that mercy. Watch over us. Keep us. Bless us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for putting up with my voice. God bless you all. Please stay in fellowship as long as you can.